Good morning, Connection Point Church. We're like 15 seconds in, and nobody's thrown a hat at me already today. So, hey, that's last week I, uh, I'd already had a hat thrown at me by this time in the sermon. So, we're doing good today. You got to, yeah. If you missed last week, you got to get to church. That's all I can say. So, uh, first of all, let's go ahead and do what we do every single week. Open your phones. Go ahead, find your phones. Go to connectionpoint.life. Take time, silence them while we're doing it. Go ahead, turn your phone uh, volume off. But uh, go to connectionpoint.life. Remember, if you go to connectionpoint.life, there are cards, and you can just swipe to the card that says Sermon Notes. That is where we are going to have all of the scriptures from today. I'm going to hit several scriptures today, and so uh, I want to make sure you can follow along. So we'll begin there. Now, the series title that we're going through today is What Had Happened Was, but that is not how you tell your friends the title of it, okay? The actual title of this message is well, you see, what had happened was, okay? There's a difference there, okay? It's, it's kind of if somebody is in an argument and, and then that one person jumps in and says probably the most ridiculous thing of everything, but he says, well, you see, what had happened was, and any time somebody says that, they're probably going to say something that is not what had happened, okay? And the reason that I called it this is because Multiple times in my life, I've heard people talk about the Bible, and usually there's this idea that comes in, well, let me tell you really what happened with the Bible, why you can or can't trust it, okay? And so this series is a series about how the Bible was written, collected, and uh, translated, okay? I am going to be the first one to admit most of the time when I do a sermon series, it's because I look at all of y'all, I see where are people at, what's going on in society. This one, though, is for me. This one excites me way more than it excites you. I understand that, but I hope that you're going to get passionate about this topic because, for me, this issue was formative for me because in the very first crisis of belief that I've ever had, and I've had uh, at least three major crises of belief in God, but the first one happened in college. And in college, I went through a series of events, and I finally felt my, my sophomore year that I was going to be a pastor. And so I decided to start taking some religious courses. I was at the University of Texas, which is known for its solid theological you know, living. Right. It's as close to God as you can get, some would argue. Some would disagree. And uh, so I took a class by a professor named... Michael White. Now, when it was called History to Christianity, I thought this would be a great thing for me to do. I'm interested in the Bible. And it was pretty cool. I was excited going into this class because I'd actually seen Professor White on PBS and on documentaries, and I thought that's kind of cool to see somebody who's really recognized as an authority. Another thing that was cool is instead of going to uh, buy his book at the, the college bookstore, you went to the actual, like, bookstore like Barnes and Nobles and that's where his book was that's where you went and got his book so I was like man this is this is probably it's kind of a celebrity or, of sorts and so I sat through this class and he would say little things that just began to chip away at my faith um, one of the first things he said we were talking about the book of Peter and he said well of course y'all know Peter didn't write the book of Peter Okay, it was written by someone else. We don't know who it was written, but it couldn't have been written by Peter because the, the Greek is too good, and we know it wasn't written by Peter. And then he started to say, 
Well, you know, the book of Matthew and the book of uh, the Gospels, they were all written at least a hundred years, probably a little more after the events of Jesus. So they had had plenty of time to become myths, and it was probably not right. And it culminated when he made the claim that, you know, Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. There are, there are probably three or four other options of what actually happened. And I being called into ministry, hearing this was devastated. In fact, I went home and I thought to myself, well, I finally, for the first time in my life, I thought I knew the direction I was going to go, and then here I am. I'm back to square one. I don't know what I'm going to do because I certainly can't give myself to a lie. And so what I did was I anchored myself in my faith, and I said, you know what? Before I just give up on this, I'm going to see what really happened. I'm going to be able to decide... If what he's saying is true, and I had never really even considered going against uh, the authority of my professor at that moment, but I said, I'm going to dig into this and I'm going to find out. So for me, this issue is the most important, and for you, it might not, but I will tell you, it's going to be very helpful someday if your kids ask you, what, what about the Bible? Is it really the Word of God? I heard it was written hundreds of years after, or I heard you can't trust it because of, of this. And you see, there's a problem that happens when we, if you are, are someone here who grew up in church, and that is you can begin to believe that the Bible just fell from heaven. That it just fell from heaven exactly how you have it today is how it happened, is, is, is how it was 2,000 years ago, and uh, even longer than that. And so you begin to hear people say these things, and if you don't understand how it came to be, it's very easy for you to just say, you know what, I can't trust any of it. And so some of us in here have this mindset that the Bible fell from heaven. And somebody, some lay, is going to tell you or your kids or your friend or your co-worker, they're going to say some things like, Moses didn't write the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Or they're going to say, you know, Samuel didn't write Samuel. They're going to say Jeremiah didn't write Jeremiah. They're going to say Paul didn't write Romans. Or they're going to say Peter didn't write Peter. Or they're going to say it was written hundreds of years afterwards. And if you're holding on to this idea that somehow the Bible is just a book that fell from heaven exactly how it is, preserved just how it was, you are going to be disappointed when you find that bits and facts are of what you thought were are actually not the way it happened. And then there are some of you, maybe you're more skeptical, and you kind of uh, don't really talk about it, but you've heard people say, and I hear this a lot, we're going to get the, in, in the coming weeks to some of this, you've heard it said, maybe you've read the Da Vinci Code 20 years ago or whenever that happened, and they said that the Bible was actually kind of compiled, it was written by Constantine or authored by, uh, or authorized by Constantine, and it was a political move, and it was done to keep women oppressed, or there's a lot of different reasons that they chose the books, and they'll point out things that are actually true, but they can be skewed. You know that there were 80 other Gospels that were, that were around, that were considered, but that were not put in the Bible. And so people will say, you see, it was conspiracy, and that's why we have the Bible that we have. And then some of my favorite one that we're going to hit the last week, some people will say, you know, you can't trust what you're reading now, because even if the, if the original was right... What we have now is a translation of a translation of a translation, and we've all played the game telephone where you talk to one person and they whisper and they whisper, and by the time it gets to the end, it's not the original message, so we can't even know what's in the Bible. And so because of this reason, I thought it would be good to spend three, three weeks to talk about this. And so if you think the Bible fell from heaven, 
Or if you think it was written by men and by, with gray beards and, and a conspiracy, you're both going to be disappointed. But I'm going to tell you that the truth is much more fascinating. The truth is much more inspiring. And, and the more I've dug into this, the more I've gotten into this, the more excited I get about God's Word and what He is doing in the world, okay? So there's going to be three questions that we're going to answer over the course of this series, so you need to come back next week and the next week for sure. Who wrote the Bible? We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about how was it collected, and then next, or the third week, we're going to talk about how was it translated. And I want to warn you, I'm going to do everything I can to stay out of the weeds, okay? Now, I love the weeds, okay? Just check out my yard. I love the weeds, Okay. <laughs> Uh, now, when I say weeds, what I mean is getting into specific examples that you have to know a little bit about what was going on at that time in history and stuff. I'm going to try to stay as much as I can out of that. Now, if you like the weeds like me, on ConnectionPoint.life, I put some podcasts, and then uh, there's actually this thing called a book that I've recommended as well that uh, you can. But I put several podcasts that will go deeper than I could possibly go for you, okay? So that's there if you want it. But what I want to do today is I just want to go through three questions. And these three questions, I think, will at least give you a reference to when you're challenged on why do you read the Bible or why do you not read the Bible, that you'll be able to at least give an answer or know there is an answer, okay? The three questions are going to be this. What is the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? And why does it matter? Because we never want to come to church and just get information. So we've also always got to ask that question, why does this matter? Because if we don't apply what we learn in church, then knowledge is not power, okay? Applied knowledge, that's power. Actually using what you learn. And so the whole reason we're going through this is not so you can be smarter than the person in the next debate you get into. It is so the next time somebody challenges your faith or your children's faith or the person at work, you're going to be able to say, listen, this is why I read the Bible. This is why it's important. This is why this matters, Okay. So having said that, let's ask a question that most of us think we could answer. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? Most of us would say, well, the Bible is a book, and that's what the word Bible means. It means book. But it's a little bit more than that, and you know if you've, been, if you've ever read the Bible, the Bible is a collection of writings from different genres collected over a period of more than 2,000 years, Okay. So it's not just a book, it is many writings. And in fact, I wouldn't say it's a book of books because most of the, the things we call the books of the Bible are not actually even books. Now there are historical narratives, there are law codes, there is what we call wisdom literature, poems, stuff like that. There's a genre called prophecy, which is all about uh, predicting the future and, and uh, being able to tell what's going on in these times and warn of the future. In the Old Testament, there's, uh, there's a collection of the old, there's actually three time periods you need to know about the Bible. There's the Old Testament, which is basically every single thing in, that was in the Bible that's before the year 300 BC is the Old Testament, okay? And then everything that's after the year, let's just say zero to make it easy, is considered the New Testament. And then there's this time in the middle called the Inner Testament. There's this time where there's no books of the Bible being written, okay? So the Old Testament has in your Bible, probably 39 books. Now, the original Hebrew Bible has 24 books, but the interesting thing is it's got the exact same content in both. It's just they're divided up differently. 
And the same goes for uh, the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. The New Testament has four what we would call historical narratives about the life of Jesus. We call those gospels. Then we have one book that is a historical narrative on the early church. We call that the book of Acts. And then we have people's mail, basically. The rest is reading somebody's mail. It is uh, written by Paul or written by some of the early Christians to other Christians, and it's just, hey, here's our mail, okay? And then you have this one book at the end. It's called Revelation. It's a weird genre of apocalyptic literature, but the interesting thing about it is, at the time, that's not even a weird genre. That's what they were into. Some people are into sci-fi now. A hundred years from now, people might be like, sci-fi, this is so cool. Read this. This is crazy. But, but to them at the time, there was a whole genre. People wrote like this, and so it's not as unusual as it might feel. Now, I say all that just to get a feel um, for where we're going, because if you just look at the book as one book, the Bible is one book, then it's easy to say it fell from heaven. But when you understand, it took 2,000 years for these books to be written, compiled, and then now we get them from here translated to, so that we can actually hold one in our hand in our language. We need to understand what it is, okay? And that's what it is. It's a collection of writings written in many genres over 2,000 years or more. So let's get into what I consider the fun questions. And y'all are on the edge of your seat, I can tell. Who wrote it? Who wrote the Bible? Now, the Sunday school answer is, of course, God. God wrote the Bible. And that suffices, and that's not a wrong answer, but there is a question that uh, Bill Clinton made famous, and we're actually going to revisit that today. Now, he said, if, you're, uh, if you don't remember this, he said, it depends on what the definition of the word is, is. Now, we're going to say it depends on what the definition of the word wrote is. Because we say, who wrote the Bible and we can actually mean several different things. And if you just say, who wrote the Bible, meaning who wrote this down, who put this on pen and paper, you are going to be a little shocked when you find out the answers. Let me give you an example. We'll stay above the weeds. But most traditions say that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, okay? In fact, Jesus even references, hey, you know the law of Moses. You know the words of Moses. And he'll quote the first five books of the Bible. But there's some interesting things that historians have noticed. And if you read the first five books of the Bible, you'll notice some things about this book that was referred or that was apparently written or supposedly written by Moses. The first thing you'll notice is he refers to himself in the third person. Okay? Not too unusual, but somewhat weird if you're writing a book to which you're one of the main characters and you keep calling yourself Moses. Okay? Now... What's even more kind of nuanced about that is he also at one point calls himself the most humble man alive, okay? Which, guys, we can appreciate somebody saying that, right? But you also understand that is a self-refuting. That is not what the most humble man alive would write, and he certainly wouldn't do it after calling himself Moses. So there's some things when you read it, you're like, huh, it doesn't seem like he's actually penning this, like he's writing this. And then it gets a little crazy because he begins to tell old stories that we know those stories were not written down in the same language that Moses would have read. He spoke Hebrew or a version of Hebrew, um, but there was a, a line of Hebrew called Canaanite dialect before that. That, Anyway, just to say, it, it, there's, some, there's some more scholarly things that you begin to say, well, how would he know that? But the most important thing to ask when did Moses write the first five books of the Bible? When you read the Bible and you read in Deuteronomy and it says Moses died and then the book keeps going, some bells should go off in your head of, wait a second, 
how did he do this, okay? And the, the truth is that this is the moment in which some skeptics, in which I've had people say, you know Moses didn't write it. You know it wasn't written by who it says it was because he couldn't have written it. Wrote, he couldn't have written it. There you go. He couldn't have written it because he dies in it. And so we have to really understand what do we mean when we say Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now, in seminary, I was, when I was taught that the documentary hypothesis, which is the major idea of who wrote, the major non-Christian scholarly view is called the documentary hypothesis. It says there are four different authors of the first five books. They are J, E, P, and D. Okay, that's the name of the sources, okay? You don't have to remember about that, but all I want you to know, if anyone ever tells you, we know who wrote it. They have, there are four different sources. Just understand that it's called a hypothesis because not one source actually exists. They hypothesize these sources must have existed, but it never existed. But skeptics will point to the fact he died and he couldn't have written it, okay? And it makes it very important for us to understand what the word wrote means. When we ask the question, who wrote the Bible, you need to understand that that can be meant several different ways. And this is not unusual, by the way, as you're going to see. But what I do want you to see is Moses did not actually sit down and write anything on a pen that you still have access to today. Now, for some of that, again, if the Bible fell out of heaven, you're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about this? But as you begin to dive into it, I want to let you know You'll become even more invested in the text once you understand the process. So there are four, it's actually three different ways, we'll say, that we call something that was written by somebody. Okay? And they are, the first one at least, is we call the author, or the eyewitness. If, if the eyewitness wrote it down, if the author wrote it down, then the person who actually says, hey, I'm writing this, we'll call that person the author. Okay? They wrote it down. We understand that. Let me give you a biblical example. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Now, who do you think wrote that verse? Okay, take a guess, wild guess. Paul. Paul wrote that, that, I mean, that uh, text. He wrote that exact phrase in that exact way. He was the author of that verse, okay? But it's interesting that he would even have to write this, right? Because it implies, well, is there any other way you could write a book or be an author? And so, most of the books are not actually authored by the person they're titled after. after. They're actually attributed to. So this word attributed is going to be a big deal. And there's two ways you can attribute a book of the Bible. The first way is a book is attributed to somebody who was the main character, the main kind of force behind it, and it was later edited and compiled by someone else, okay? So that's what we have, for example, in the, the, the first five books of the Bible. It is attributed to Moses, even though we understand that no one is saying what we have Moses actually wrote down. Now, at some point, he did write down some things. And those things probably were, and I'll give you an example. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses commands his writings to be put in the ark. What's interesting, though, is he's writing, hey, put all my words in the ark of the covenant, seal it up, and then he keeps writing, okay? And so that's kind of an inception thing. You can't keep writing if all your words have already been sealed. Y'all catch me? Okay. 
All right, I'm trying to stay up high, okay? Um, it reminds me, by the way, the movie Spaceballs. Y'all have seen Spaceballs, right? Where they get lost, and so they have to go rent their own movie, and then they fast-forward to where they are so they can know where they are. Okay, never mind. Anyway, it makes sense to me. So it's attributed to Mo- Moses. It covers his life. It covers even more than that. And uh, we know somebody edited it probably years and years later, okay? And so that shouldn't surprise us. In fact, I just want to point out that's how every book you've ever read is written, is that somebody writes it and then they give it to somebody else, or somebody says it nowadays is more likely, and then they give it to somebody else, and that person changes the word, edits the word, and makes it make sense, and then you read that version. So if something is compiled a little later on, it shouldn't concern you. It should say, oh, this is probably a good thing because they still do it to this day, okay? I want to give you just another example of this, just to make clear that this is the norm and it's not some hidden thing, okay? In the book of Jeremiah, which is a prophecy, he starts off the book saying, these are the words of Jeremiah, okay? Now, if you stop there, who would you think wrote Jeremiah? Jeremiah, right? But if you go to verse, um, chapter 36, verse 32, I know most of y'all have memorized Jeremiah. You don't even need to turn there. But if you did, you would read this. Jeremiah, first of all, the king had destroyed all of Jeremiah's writings. So it says, Jeremiah took another scroll, and he gave it to Baruch the scribe of Nera, who wrote it on the, at the dictation of Jeremiah, all the words of the scroll of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And then it says this, and many similar words were added to them. So in other words, we just learned two things about the book of Jeremiah. First of all, he didn't write it. Who wrote it? Baruch. And then the second thing you learn is that other people wrote other stuff and put it in that didn't even have Jeremiah. But yet, who wrote the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, hey, these are my words, okay? Everything that's coming in this book is kind of following in line with my thought, my narrative, okay? Are we tracking? Are y'all with me? All right, I'm trying to help you out, but I might be making you more confused than that concerns me, okay? So... It leads us to this idea, well, if it's written a few uh, decades after or even a hundred years after, should that concern us? Well, there's a difference between the way we think about history and the way they thought about history, okay? So I want to talk for just a second about oral traditions and oral history because most of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is what we call oral traditions. For years, sometimes hundreds of years, these stories were not written down, but they were told over and over again. And to us, we think, well, that's, that's a sure sign they were corrupted. That's a sure sign that they changed. But there is actually uh, a different belief if you were to go back in history before writing really became common. In fact, before the last few hundred years. Um, there was a study that was done in the 1930s where some, uh, North Amer- some Americans went and they went to Yugoslavia because they wanted to study oral traditions. And what's interesting is they found that there was an illiterate group of people, could not read, could not write, but yet these people could recite a thousand lines of this national poem. And there were actually many poems that they could recite, not just a few lines, a thousand lines of poetry. They went and they, they studied how many people in this one village could do this. And they found that more than 1,500 people could recite verbatim a poem that was hundreds of years old. So when we talk about oral tradition, we're not talking about stories that change and change and change. We're talking about a tradition in which it's so confident that back in the day they considered oral tradition more authoritative than the written tradition. 
And it kind of makes sense from a perspective because if you, have an, or if you have somebody who's a storyteller, which almost every village would have a storyteller, and somebody would come in and say, hey, why is that brook called that or why is that river called that? Well, they could open a book, but you can't ask the book if you have any more questions, right? They can tell you a story, but when you can actually say, hey, you need to go down and ask Farmer Joe or whoever, you need to ask them because they'll tell you all the stories and they'll answer your questions. And so every single village for thousands of years passed on their history this way. They had one or two or more people who would have a role, a job, to learn the history and learn the stories and tell the stories back and forth and be able to tell you and be able to pass down stories so that we find most of these stories are very accurate, even over hundreds and hundreds, but this is just the way all history was passed on for thousands of years, okay? And so I say all that just because you need to understand one fact about the Old Testament that, again, can shock you. The entire Old Testament is anonymous and undated, okay? There's not one book of the Old Testament where we know who authored it, okay? Almost every book is attributed. Now, some of them may have been authored as well, but most of the, the Old Testament is attributed. That is, we, we were, it was compiled after it was written, okay? That was a part of the process. Okay, when you get to the New Testament, you find that you still have books that are attributed, but they're no longer attributed by other people. They're usually compiled by the same author. An example of this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says this. This is Luke, although his name is not on this, okay? This is church history within uh, about one generation. So the, not the first church father, but the second church father looks back and says, let me tell you who wrote this book this book is written by Luke, the guy who wrote around with Paul, okay? This is what Luke says. And as much as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so Luke tells us several things. He says, first of all, there are a lot of stories about Jesus going around. That you go to any village and you're going to find somebody who's telling a story of Jesus. But I thought, you know what? My friend Theophilus, who probably paid or commissioned him to do this, he said, I thought it would be good if I took these stories and I edited them together so that you can understand what really was going on. And he says, I talked to eyewitnesses. I talked to other people who had gathered these stories. I want you to be confident this is the right history. He's very open about the fact that he's writing stories secondhand, that he went to the eyewitnesses. He knew Paul. He knew Peter. He knew the, the eyewitnesses. But he's writing this account so that we can, he can compile them and make it orderly. That is, he's saying, I didn't even write this chronologically. Understand, I'm writing this so it makes sense to you, my reader, okay? Now, there's a third way that, uh, that we talk about writing something, okay? The first one is the actual author. The second one is it's attributed to somebody. They put their name on it because it's about them. The third way, and just to keep with the A's, I went out of my way to keep with the A's today, an amanuensis, okay? Who knows what an amanuensis is, just out of curiosity? All right, good. We're all going to learn something today, okay? An amanuensis is a, is a job that you would have, especially back in this time. 
and you would be a scribe, and you would actually go around and follow people who were doing things that were worth writing, and you would write for them. And so a lot of the letters in the New Testament are amanuensis. They were written by an amanuensis. Let me give you an example. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart. So he's introducing himself. So who do you think wrote Romans chapter 1? Paul, right? And then you get to verse, or chapter 16, and you read this one little line that all of us skip over at the end of the book. I, Tertius, wrote this letter. I greet you in the Lord. So who wrote Romans? Tertius, if what you mean by wrote is he wrote it down, okay? If you mean who wrote whose ideas, you would say it's Paul's. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. By Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have, brief, brief, I have written briefly to you. So who wrote 1 Peter? Sylvanius. Some of them say Silas, okay? Now, why is this important? This, this matters for a few reasons. First of all, you need to understand that most of the, the New Testament writers, a lot of them were fishermen. One of the main reasons that my professor told me that Peter was not written by Peter is because Peter was a fisherman, and especially when you read um, 2 Peter, the Greek, the form of Greek is too elegant. When you read 1 Peter, the form of, I mean, the form of Greek is too elegant for a man who probably spoke Greek as a second language, if he even spoke Greek. He probably spoke um, a different language, okay? And because of this, we know that, that it would make no sense for Peter to be able to write this elegant letter. So, what's the solution? Sylvanius, it's his job to, to write good Greek. If you're going to go into, if you're going to be an amanuensis, you better know how to write. So these people, they, they were the only ones they would carry around pens. They probably had these big boxes that would have all these writing materials, and that was their job. And so when you wanted to write a letter, you would call an amanuensis, or if you're Paul or Peter, you could bring one with you on a journey, and that's their entire job. Now I say all of this just because I really want you to understand the process of how we wrote the Bible. So the main question that we want to get to is, why does this matter? Which some of you have been asking for the last 15 minutes, let's be honest. Okay, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, first of all, the Bible, the scriptures, are the primary source of the story of Jesus. Okay, so it matters how it was written. It matters that it was not changed. It matters that somehow God had his finger on this. Now, there's a, there's a way that we describe the Bible. We say it is inerrant and inspired. Inerrant means without error, okay? Now, for some of us, we think, how could the Bible be without error if it was written by men? But I just want to point out again, every book you read just about is inerrant because people, when they write books, try to make them without errors. The phone book is probably inerrant, okay? So don't get scared off by this word, but... When we talk about the errors in the Bible or their mistakes in the Bible, which we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, understand that the Bible is actually inerrant. There are no errors, especially errors that, were, um, that, were, uh, that occurred in the first writing by the authors of the Bible. Okay? And so that matters. It matters that we can trust the story of Jesus. It also we, it, it matters because we need to understand when we say the Bible is 
inspired by God, it's not just that God inspired one man to write down a story. We need to understand that God inspired the entire process. God inspired the men who lived it out. He inspired the men who wrote it or later compiled and edited it and took the stories that were being told. The Holy Spirit was working in all of them. He also guided the translation and the compiling and the collecting of these books. The entire process in history was guided by God, not simply one man sitting down and writing a letter or writing a book. It matters that what we have is the word of God. This is what 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, this is the words of Paul. This is how Paul would describe all of the scriptures, okay? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now listen, I've talked with people, and I get this a lot. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to go to church in order to know God. If you ever meet somebody that says that, ask them. Okay, well, at least let me know who right now is teaching and training you. Who is transforming your life right now so that you can be in the image of God? Because what Paul says when he's writing about it is understand that God ordained this whole thing so that it can transform your life fundamentally. When we neglect the Bible, we are neglecting to be transformed by the words that God has given us in the Bible. The Bible can transform us. And so I want to end just by, by sh letting you know, this week we had the best example I've ever seen just about of society being impacted by someone who read the Bible and actually trusted it. Now, I got some uh, messages from some of you as soon as the Amber Geiger case uh, was settled. And y'all were like, hey, did you hear that? And I'm like, no, I didn't hear that. I'm not watching a court case all day, as apparently some of you are. That's okay. And uh, I went to bed, didn't watch anything, okay? But I got up and I started listening to the radio, okay? I'm going to go ahead and make a confession. I was listening to the ticket. I was listening to uh, the musers in the morning, if you know who that is. And uh, I just want to, I actually went back and wrote down what they said, because they were talking about this case. Now, there are two guys, I'm going to just call them by name, okay? One of them's name is Craig Miller. He's Catholic, okay? Um, I don't know how devout he is. I don't know if he's devout. He's Catholic. And the other is Gordon Keith. He is, if you listen to the show, he is somewhat skeptical, but he also he is the son of a pastor, okay, of a Baptist pastor. And he's very skeptical. He's kind of gone away from religion, it seems. I don't want to speak for him, but this is the conversation they had. Craig Miller said this. He says, I've thought about this because I don't want to exaggerate, we are now 16 hours removed, and I think that that was the most powerful thing I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was beautiful. I immediately wanting, wanted him to be president. What he's referring to, if you don't know, is that there was a court case. Amber Geiger, who was a police officer, who went in and shot an African-American man. Or Actually, uh, um, uh, he was from, was it Haiti? Uh, he was from the Caribbean somewhere, okay. Haitian, yes, and uh, went and shot him uh, in cold blood, basically, and it was, it was devastating no matter how you look at it, but his brother, Bokum Jean's brother gets up, and he forgives Amber Geiger, and this is what they, they watched, and this is what Gordon Keith said. He said, how often do you see people live the faith they profess, especially at 18 years old? He went on to say, mercy is so powerful. 
He said, justice is great, but grace moves people. She didn't deserve that, and he gave it to her. And I saw that, and I thought, that is exactly why I'm preaching this message today. Because somebody who actually understands that when we read this Bible, it is written by men, it is inspired by God, and it is the Word of God, and it can transform your life. And you see Bokumjan's brother, and you see someone who is free, who will walk out of here not with the weight that many in the case are going to carry for the next 10 years and longer. You see, a, you see a child, 18 years old, who is free and has been set free. The power of God's word can transform us. So here's how I'm going to close. So I'm going to close this. And I just want you to watch three minutes of this boy's testimony. And then I'll come up here and close it, okay? I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just... I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt all the things the bad things you may have done in the past each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do if you truly are sorry I know I can speak for myself I I forgive you and I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even behalf of my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes.
I know that um, there's a lot of people who have opinions on this, but let me tell you, there's one thing we can't deny, and that is someone who truly reads God's Word and reads it not <laughs> with any other reason except they want to be transformed by the power of God. It has that power. And so this week, all I want you to do is read your Bible. If you don't know where to start, start with what we read, Luke. <laughs> he tells you, I've compiled the story of Jesus. If you want to know how a young man gets to the point where he will forgive someone who murdered his brother and say, I only want the best for you, the only answer I can give you is you've got to read the book. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for revealing yourself in so many ways. You've revealed yourself in your creation. You've revealed yourself in your word. And ultimately, you revealed yourself in Jesus Christ so that none of us have to go through life weighted down by our sins and by the things that we can't control, but instead we can trust, hey, we know who God is. We not only know we know what he did for us. We know he can forgive us. So, Lord, we thank you for your gift of revelation, revealing yourself through these writings that were collected into this book we call the Bible. Lord, I pray this week that those of us who want to understand and experience your power will read your words with a new excitement. Not for us to try to read into, but for us to be transformed by your words. And Lord, I pray that every one of us will be drawn to the power of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.